Uh, welcome to everybody. Say it again. Welcome to everybody. Um, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you to everyone who's joining us online as well through our podcast. Um, if you do miss a sermon, feel free to jump on the podcast to Chapel Sydney and catch up with that. We're in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the passage. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Kill. Here we go. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. There are two young children that were in the playground And they both wanted to play on the swing. But there was only one swing. And so an argument begins. Who was here first? Who had a turn yesterday? I've been waiting longer. And suddenly, as happens when there's an argument in the playground, a crowd appears. And suddenly, even though everyone's waiting to see how this argument's going to end, suddenly the argument takes a turn and one of, the, one of the kids says something that is so random. Suddenly brings out this argument and he says this, do you know who my father is? They're arguing about whose, whose turn it is, it is to, to be on the swing and one of the kids suddenly says, do, do you know who my daddy is? Now, for everyone listening to this, right, that doesn't make sense. It's like, who, who cares who your daddy is? But for this child, this child who was like, do you know who my daddy is? For this child, it was super important. And it made logical sense to him because, because of who his daddy was, he was like, I have the right to be on this swing. Now, it doesn't make sense to us doesn't make sense from the outside. But for this child, it meant everything. Perception is important. The question I want to ask tonight is this. Who do you believe God is to you? Who do you believe God is to you? Now, who cares about what everyone else thinks? Who cares about what they think? Who cares about what the world thinks? But for you, who do you truly believe God is? Because the answer to this question, the answer to the question of who you believe God to be, 
will ultimately change the way you live your life. If you think that God is a mythical creature that only exists before mealtimes to bless your food, then you will only go to him three times a day. If you believe that God is like a housemaid that cleans up after your mess, then that's all you'll call on God to be, a housemaid. But if you truly believe that God is creator and the giver of life, that every breath that we breathe is because he allowed it, then you will go to God with everything in your life. Who you believe God to be will determine how often you go to him and what you expect from him. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he has the motivation to encourage them. The word encourage is the act of giving someone support, confidence, and hope. And this is what Paul is doing. Paul is encouraging the believers. Now, in this passage, we see that Paul takes time to pray for the church. For them, he reminds the believers in Ephesus who God is. He's reminding them who God is, who they need to believe that God is, and more specifically, how big God is is. How big is your God? How big is your God? There are three things that, that we're going to see in this passage that, that describe uh, the sheer magnitude and the enormous nature of God. But before I, we go to that passage, I'm going to tell you something that you may or may not agree with or you may or may not already know. But your view of God can I tell you this? The way you think about God, God is smaller. Your view of God is smaller than God actually is. Now, you might think, no, God is creator and God is universal and God is big. I promise you. And by the end of this passage, hopefully you, you will agree with me. God is smaller. You, you think God is smaller than he actually is. Okay? So there are three things, okay, we're going to see in this passage. Number one, God gives us his power. Verse 16 and 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now leave that verse there. Run through the argument. This is Paul's first prayer point. This is how he's praying for the Ephesians, right? Paul is asking God that out of his glorious riches, we're not even going to go there. I don't even have time tonight. His glorious riches. That God will strengthen them with what? God will strengthen the believers in Ephesus with power through His Spirit. Where? Where is He going to strengthen them? In their inner being. Now, in pre-service, someone asked, well, what's inner being? Okay, how do you define inner being? Okay, let me, let me sort of explain in the other way. It's uh, your outer being is everything that you can see. Okay, your outer being is everything that you can see. So therefore, your inner being is everything that you can't see. Talk about your heart. Talk about your emotions. Talk about your soul. That's your inner being. 
And Paul is asking God to strengthen them with power through His Spirit in the inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in, your, in their hearts through faith. What's the goal of Paul's prayer? Okay, this first request. What's the goal? The goal is that the Christians in Ephesus would have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith. Christ dwelling. Christ dwelling in their hearts. That's the goal. That's, that's what Paul is praying for. That's his desire. That the Ephesian believers, that, that the Christ, the, the same Christ that died for them on the cross, the Christ that, that saved them from their sin, the Christ that was made alive again, that this Christ would make a home in the hearts of the believers of the Ephesians. How? By strengthening them with the power of the Holy Spirit in their inner being. There's a lot of talk about strength and power. But what's interesting is how many of us, instead of being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit, we live defeated lives. Paul's praying, God, strengthen them with the power of the Holy Spirit because that's who God is. And yet we live, we don't, we don't live like we're strong. We don't live like we're, 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 we're powerful. So many Christians are known not for, their, not for God's power that's working in their lives. We're, we're known for the struggles. How many of us are struggling? How many of us are, 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 are defeated? The question isn't, can God strengthen you? The question isn't, can God's power not strengthen you? No, God can and His power can. The real question is, do you believe, do you believe that God can do that for you? We're not questioning God's power here. We're not questioning the work of His Holy Spirit here. No, that's all there. It's a question of whether you believe. This is a question of faith. Do you believe that God is actually capable of strengthening you? Something to think about. Secondly, firstly, God gives us His power. Secondly, God gives us His love, verse 17 to 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The second thing that Paul prays for is once again power, but he prays two specific things. Firstly, the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And secondly, to know that this love surpasses knowledge. Two things that Paul's praying for. Do you know that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you because he loves you? He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. You know, that's a death that we deserved. That's a, a punishment that should have been for us because you sin, you pay the price. That's justice. And yet, God, because of God's great love for us.
The scripture tells us over and over again that Jesus died on the cross because God loved the world. And Paul prays that the believers would have the power to grasp, the power to hold on to the idea that the love of Christ is available for us. That when we look at the cross, we're not looking at a justice system. Actually, when we look at the cross, we're looking at grace. Grace uh, meaning we didn't deserve salvation. We didn't deserve forgiveness. And yet God gives it to us. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you? I'm sure you've heard God loves you. I'm sure you've heard it. But do you really know the extent of that love? You know, Paul uses the word, you know, to grasp what? How wide and long and high and deep. It's not three-dimensional love. It's not a two-dimensional. It's multi-layered. You know, sometimes for myself, I, I, I grew up struggling with this idea that God loves me. Like, I knew it in my head. You know, you go to church and they tell it to you all the time. But my struggle was that I would look in the mirror and I would not accept that God would love someone like me. Because I know me. I know how messed up I am. I know how jacked up I am. I know all the mistakes that I've made in my life. You know, I I spent so much of my life trying to impress God, trying to impress people, rather than being secure in the fact that God loves me. You know, I'd ask myself questions like, why why am I trying to impress God with what I do? You know what? Like, oh, God, look at this. You know, I, I read like half the Bible. In like three days. It's pretty impressive. You know, God, I went to church every week this year. Look how much I'm giving God. So generous. And my whole identity would be around this like trying to trying to earn God's favor and trying to earn God's love. But but I think what we do is it, it, it's it makes God's love really small. You know how many of us, when we fail God, when we do the wrong thing, we we feel so shamed and and guilty rather than knowing that God's love is, is even greater than that. Do you know how great God's love is for you? Do you know how wide and long and high and deep that love is? And the scripture says that this love goes beyond knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? It means that, that it's not enough for you to know in your head that God loves me in a really big way. It surpasses knowledge. Let's, knowledge is important. And, and our generation, we have idolized knowledge and we have made knowledge a God. But can I tell you, knowledge is only one part of life. I know, I know scientific facts, right? I know when I read the brochures that when you go to McDonald's and you buy the $5.95 small Big Mac meal and cheeseburger combo that's on special right now. Thank you, Ronald McDonald. The box tells me, I don't know if you've ever done this, right? You look at the, the dietary stuff, right? McDonald's is really simple. You're going to die. 
<laughs> it's on every box. You eat me, you will die quicker. I know McDonald's is bad for me. You know McDonald's is bad for you. But why do we keep indulging? Because knowledge is not enough. It's not enough to stop me from eating McDonald's. Can I tell you in the same way? It's not enough. It's not enough for you to know that God loves you. It's not enough for you to know that Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. It's to understand his love and it goes beyond just knowing in your head. Too many people, that's where it ends. God loves me, hallelujah. Does my life change? Does does the way that I live change? No, it doesn't. Because all we've done is we've just made it a concept in our brains. The love of God is bigger than a concept. Do you know how big his love is for you? God gives us his power. God gives us his love. And finally, God gives us himself. Verse 20 to 21, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And this is why I said, whatever you think about God, God is bigger than that. See, our understanding of God is going to be limited by two things, right? One, our knowledge, right? Now, some of us are a lot more knowledgeable. There are people in our community, they know the Bible so very well, right? And then there are people in our community that are new, and and all you know is that God loves me, you know, and that's it, right? So that's the first factor that's going to limit your knowledge of who God is in your life is firstly your knowledge, but secondly, it's also your imagination, For some of you, you might not have much knowledge, but you've got crazy imagination, right? Imagination is is, is when it goes beyond your reality, and it's like whether you can think outside of what you can see. But here's the problem. Even your imagination is not boundless. It's not everlasting. Even your imagination has limits. And here we see Paul saying, now to him who is immeasurably more, able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Do you know that's our God? Our God is so big, is so powerful, is so loving that he can do more than all we ask for. Can can you imagine that? Just pause on that one, right? Everything that you ask for, and this isn't like, here, here's a free parking ticket, go for your life. This is defining God. This is not defining your actions. This is defining who God is. God can do anything and everything that you ask for. Did you know that? There is nothing that is impossible for God when you ask him. It's like, God, you know, I I really need to pass this exam. Do you really think that that you failed because God, you know, couldn't do it? God's like, oh my God, I haven't done two-unit maths in so many years, you know? You know, God's not going, oh man, Arabic. I don't know Arabic. How, are you gonna, how am I going to help you pass an Arabic exam? God can do 
anything and everything that you can ask him to do. Doesn't mean that he has to. Doesn't mean that he will, but he can. But then it goes even further. Not only can he do, able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, but also imagine. It's, see, when we ask, we usually, it, it's in the bounds of our reality, right? It's like, God, help me with this exam. God, you know, I, I want to get married. I don't know, maybe that's into imagination time for some of you. I don't know, right? But, but when you go imagination, it's like, ooh, kind of goes beyond. You know, like for me, I'm, I'm, like for me, when I ask God, God, I'd like to be rich, right? I'm like thinking maybe like $5 million, maybe, right? Imagination is like, you know, God, give me like $5 trillion. God can. Not for me. God knows that I, Steve Char, should never be rich, right? I know me. God know me. God know, God know me. God knows me. (laughs) God can not only do what you ask, but he can do things that, that are even beyond your imagination. Things that you didn't even think about. God who is able to do immeasurably more. That term, right? Immeasurably more. Immeasurably meaning you cannot measure You cannot measure how big and what God can do in this world. And and, and not only can you not measure it, He could do more than that. This is the God that we worship. This is who God is. Well, Paul is saying that God takes our imagination and God just laughs. It's like, is that all? Is that all you're asking for? But here's the crazy part. And this is the part that, okay, a lot of us will understand, yeah, God's huge. God can do amazing things. God can do the miracles. That's fine. But the, but the hard part for us to believe is the next part of that verse. According to His power, that is at work within us. Many of us believe God exists. Many of us, if not all of us here, would believe that God exists. Now, out of everyone, some of us believe, some of us believe that God is actively working in this world today. Right? Some of us believe that God exists but got nothing to do with this world. But some of us would believe that God is active in our world today. But even out of that, some, only a few people will truly believe that the power of God is not just working in the world today, but is actually working in us. Just like what the verse says. According to his power, that is at work within us. That is at work within us. It's one thing to believe that God exists. It's another thing to believe that God is dwelling amongst the people and in the world today, but it's another to believe that that same God that created the heavens and the earth is at work in your life. 
The question is not, is God working? No, God is working because that's what the Bible tells us. The question is not, is He working? The question is, do you believe He's working in your life? Do you believe that He's actually with us? Not just on a Sunday afternoon at church, but on a Monday morning at work or or a Tuesday afternoon at home. Do you believe that? The sad reality is this. Most of us struggle with this belief. That's why for the most of us, the best that we get of God is a few hours a week where we come to church and for those few hours, we can forget about the realities and the troubles of our lives and that's the best that it gets for you. For some of us, the best, seriously, the best that you get from God, the best that you get from God is that the food that you're about to eat is blessed and you didn't die. That's the best that it gets for you. But our God is bigger than this. That's why for some of us, we live defeated rather than have the power of God, even though it's available. We live, in, we live trapped in a prison when, when God has already given us the key of freedom. You know, Paul says that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, that's what's available to us, right? The fullness of God. The fullness of God, meaning that I don't need anything else in my life because I am full with God. Yet the sad reality is because of the way we believe God or the way we see God, we're not full of God at all. Actually, we feel empty, lonely, isolated, and unloved because we're trying to fill our lives. We're trying to fill the void in our lives with the things of this world. Money, success, relationships, family, our own desires, all because we don't believe that God is as big as the Scriptures tell us He is. Because we have a small view of God. And usually, we have a small view of God because we have a big view of ourselves. Very important for you to understand that. Your view of God, who He is, what He has done for you, what He has promised you for your eternal future, and how much He loves you will ultimately determine your relationship with Him. If you truly believe that God is almighty and powerful, that He loves you with this crazy pursuing love, and that, <coughs> and that He can do things that aren't even, even in your imagination, do you know what happens when you really believe that? When you really believe that God is phenomenally so much bigger than what we can imagine, and that He's at work, that, that, that the power is available for us, and that He loves us, and we don't need to do anything to receive that love, but He loves us because where his children, do you know what the response to that is? In verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family on her, in heaven and on earth derives its name. You know what happens? It brings us to our knees. 
When you understand who God is, like really who God is, not just your fairy tale version of God, but the biblical view of God. When you understand how big God is, and you understand how little you are, how weak you are, how sinful you are, how poor you are, how insecure you are, how broken you are, your response is simple. You bow the knee before the holy king of kings, and you say, God, I am nothing without you. I need you. That is the only response that you can have when you truly know who God is, when you truly understand who God is. This is the thing that I learned while studying this passage. This prayer that Paul records for the church. You know, the question always is like, you you read scripture and you go, well, and then what? What's our response to it? And it's ironic, but this prayer that Paul records, the response is actually prayer. Because do you know what prayer is? Prayer is talking to God, right? But you've got to remember who you're talking to. You've got to remember who you're talking to. You're talking to the, to the creator of the universe. You're talking to the one that, you know, you wake up tomorrow morning and you get to breathe because he's the one that gave you breath. You get to walk because he's the one that gave you legs. You get to be here because he allowed it. So when we pray, when we pray, what we're doing is we are submitting. We are humbly submitting ourselves to him. Humility is such an important word. So many times we, we act like arrogant punks before God. You know, there's a story in the Bible, right? Father has two sons and the, and the younger one wants his part of the inheritance and he goes to the father and he says, I want my share of the inheritance, right? Now, we, re- we read that and we're like, man, what a punk. How dare you how dare you tell your father, the one that, that has raised you, everything that you have is because of your father. You, you're telling him, I want you dead because I want your money. And we think, oh man, that's so arrogant. And yet, you think about how you pray. And not even the words. I'm, I'm not even talking about what you pray for. Think about the posture of prayer that you have. Let's be honest. Time for some honesty time. You only pray when you need something. Isn't that the truth? Or you only pray when you're in trouble. Or you only pray because you think that that's just meant to be the right thing, like praying before a meal. You know, there are literally, there are are some people that really, 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 really believe that if they do not give thanks to God for the meal, that they will be poisoned that that meal will not go down well and they will get indigestion. Have to take Gaviscon. Think about it, right? Think about if you talk to your wife or your husband, one, when you only wanted something, (laughs) and we all know what husbands and wives want, right? Number two, imagine you only talk to them when when you were in trouble. Or three, Kind of because of an obligation, because, you know, you got married, right? 
Think about what that says about that relationship. There's no respect. There's no, there's no reverence in that. There's no love. And yet we do this to God all the time. Humbly submitting before God. You know, Paul says, I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the Father. Now, I would kneel right now, but my knees are sore. <laughs> I've got knee issues, I apologize. But what does that mean? Why, do, why does Paul emphasize that he kneels? It's the humble submission. It's the posture to say, you are God and I am not. Let me ask you one more time. How big is your God? Have you stopped fighting your addictions and anxieties and just letting them take over your life? Let me ask you, is God, is God of the universe not more powerful than that? If you're in a situation where you need people, you need relationships, you need friendship, you need sexual intimacy to feel loved and significant, when God said, I'm going to give you my son to die on the cross because I love you, I love you, this is how much I love you, will anyone else in this life do that for you? Is that not the depth of love? Is that not the greatest act of love? Is that not enough for you? If you're stuck in life needing a miracle and all you can do is roll the dice in your life and say, oh man, I hope this works out. I hope this works out. Friends, do we not worship the God of miracles? I promise you tonight, if you would allow yourself to humbly submit your lives to God and allow God to be the God of the Bible, to be who God says he is, and to get to know more about this amazing God, how big He is, how powerful He is, how great His love for us, I promise you, God will not let you down. Friends, all of us have a smaller view of God than who He really is. God's work is not limited in your lives because God is limited. But God's work is limited because your faith of what you believe is limited. Let me finish with some verses to encourage you tonight. Matthew 21, 22 says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for, for, for in prayer. It's a pretty interesting verse. Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, these aren't just like, wow, this would be nice if it was real. No, this is the Bible. Don't bring God down onto your level of what can and can't be. Don't limit God. Don't limit Him because you're limited. Let me read verse 20. And I'll close. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
This is our God. Let's pray.